This is Psalm 51, and we're going to be reading the first six verses together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And if you could uh, turn to your Bibles to that Psalm 51, which we started to, to read from earlier. If you've um, listened to any of uh, Colonel Gaddafi's speeches or rants recently, you'll have heard him blame many people for Libya's current problems. Um, the US, the UK, the, the drug-crazed youth, Al-Qaeda. Everyone basically but himself. Never has he accepted any wrong, wrongdoing on his part and he's prepared to die rather than accept his guilt or plead for mercy. Well, the psalm we're looking at uh, this evening is very different because David here, the one who wrote it, accepts his guilt, accepts his sin before God and he knows that all he can do is plead for mercy. The background, as I'm sure many of you all know, is his the story of David and Bathsheba, how David uh, saw this very beautiful woman and uh, he told his men to go and get her and bring her to him so he could sleep with her. When she became pregnant, he tried to uh, get um, Uriah to, to come and sleep with his wife so he could pretend that it was actually his son. But um, when that didn't work, he had him killed. He was guilty of murder. But... Um, at that time, David was blind to his guilt. And we're told uh, in uh, 2 Samuel how the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to him. And he said, he said this parable to him, uh, a totally unjust uh, situation. And as he told him that, it opened David's eyes to his own guilt. And it caused David to say, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan explained that he would be punished, that his wives would be uh, taken from him. Um, his son would die. But despite the seriousness of his crimes of adultery and of murder, he said to him, actually, he wouldn't receive the punishment that he deserves. And Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Now, why does he say that? Well, that's what we're looking at this evening in this psalm. Because we're going to look at the first part as we go into communion, the plea for mercy, plea for cleansing, the confession. And then the second part, uh, plea for renewal, the praise and proclamation that follows the uh, assurance of forgiveness. But what we have in this, this psalm is, is a process, a process of justification, of being made right with God. And it's a process of sanctification, being made more like God. It's a process that every Christian goes through, whether they've grown up in a, a Christian family in this country or whether in Romania. We've heard the testimony this evening of, uh, of Pastor Julian of how God has worked in his life. 
that process of being made right with God starts with a plea, a plea for mercy from the only one who can do anything about it. The psalm starts, have mercy on me, O God. And if you think about it, in order to be able to grant mercy to somebody else, what do you actually need to be able to do? What do you need to be like? Well, the answer is here, the character of God. Have a look at those uh, first opening verses of uh, Psalm 51. David's plea for mercy is according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. When hostages plead for mercy and are still beheaded by Al-Qaeda or other terrorists, it's because they don't have that love or that compassion that uh, God has. Other humans may demonstrate uh, mercy, uh, love and compassion because we are made in the image of God, but it's only in God where those attributes are perfect. It's God who defines love and mercy and compassion. And often when people ask, well, why actually did God allow sin to come into this world? Why didn't he just uh, make a world without sin? And we don't know the full answer to that, but I wonder whether it was in order that he could demonstrate his mercy and compassion to us so we could praise him for that. When God came down in a cloud on Mount Sinai and stood before Moses, he uh, described himself in this way. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He's a God who wants to be merciful, to those who call out to him for mercy, and yet he remains just as well. The guilty need to, to be punished. How does that happen? Well, we'll find out in a minute. But sadly for many people, they never make that first step of admitting their need for mercy, of admitting their position before God. Well, David does so, and he continues by making a plea in this psalm for cleansing. Have a look um, at a verse... One and two there. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. These psalms are meant to be literary, they're, they're like poems, they, they, they have these literary devices. And so when we see a threefold repetition here, it is to emphasise a point he's trying to make. Three times he uses words to describe sin, transgressions, iniquity, sin, and three words to describe the act of cleansing blot out wash away, cleanse. And visually we understand when, when something's dirty and when something's clean. After all, washing powder manufacturers make that very clear to us, the difference between the two. But this is different, isn't it? This is a spiritual cleansing going on within, a cleansing that only God can perform. And in verse 79, David repeats that plea for cleansing. But before he does that, in verses 3 to 5, he confesses his sin. Have a look at verses 3 to 5. What he's doing is not trying to make any excuse for his sin, as we often do. You know, I'm sorry, but you know, there was something that made me do it. David here says, I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. For David, he won't be able to forget that the reason his son died was because of his sin. The reason a good man was murdered was because of his sin. 
When he says against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That doesn't mean he hasn't wronged Bathsheba or Uriah or or his son. Of course he has. But it's only because of God that we are able to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. It's only because of God's laws and instructions that he, he explains to us in his word that we're able to know what is sin. The passage here defines sin. It's there in verse 4. It says, what is evil in God's sight? And because God is the only one who is unable to sin, he is justified when he judges. So to confess our sin is to admit that what we have done is evil in God's sight. And it's also to accept that God deserves to punish us for that. David also confesses here that he's, it's not just one sin that he's guilty of. It's not one sin he's confessing here. It's his sinful condition. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. You know, I've got a bigger problem here than just this one episode in my life. The big question is, how could Nathan say to David, the Lord has taken away your sin? Surely that is unjust towards the others he has sinned against, towards Bathsheba, towards Uriah, towards his son. Well, the reason is that somebody else <coughs> took that punishment. The sin of David, all the sins of the Israelites were placed on the one who was to come, on the Messiah, the Christ, who they were looking forward to. Let me just read from uh, Romans uh, chapter 3. Here it says, Romans 3:25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And what that's saying there is that those sins committed beforehand, those sins committed by David, committed by all the people of Israel, before the coming of Christ were forgiven in Christ. Because from where, David, from where God is at this time of, of David's writing the psalm, of David's plea for mercy, God can see Jesus Christ on the cross. He can see him being punished for David's sin. And it was David's faith in God's mercy that united him with Jesus. And so because David's sins are counted as Christ's sins, Christ's righteousness is counted as David's righteousness. And the same applies to us today. If we trust in Jesus' death to save us from our sin, we receive his righteousness. We are made clean. That is an amazing thing, isn't it? And so as we come now to take the bread and the wine that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ by which we have been saved, let's together say these are next few verses in Psalm 51. Let's say together, hopefully they'll appear on the screen behind me, verses 7 to 9, admitting that we need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's read together. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. If you can remain standing, what we're going to do is read now the, the second half of that to Psalm, Psalm 51. It should appear on the screen behind me, if you haven't got a Bible handy. Let's read together 
from verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices. All burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Please take a seat. Well, what we see in these verses is that David is not content to be forgiven for his sin. He wants to be renewed by God. He's not happy with the old man. He wants to be a new man. He wants a new heart, a pure heart, one that is free from sin. He wants a steadfast spirit, it says here, where the mind, the will are fixed on God, where they're steady towards him, which doesn't waver when times are tough, which doesn't give in to temptation, which is faithful to God. And he knows the only way that uh, he can be renewed is through God's help. You can't just try harder, that doesn't, doesn't work. He needs God's presence. He needs the Holy Spirit. And the fact that he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, implies that um, the Holy Spirit was already with him. He's already somebody who follows God, who believes in God, but somebody who fell. As believers, we do still fall, we still make mistakes. But that doesn't mean that God turns his back on us, doesn't mean that he casts us from his presence. That, of course, is the ultimate punishment. That is the judgment that those who have turned their backs on him will receive to be cast from his presence for eternity. But David's plea here for renewal includes a plea for the joy of salvation to be restored to him. So often as we look at God's word, we, we come across this concept of joy, the joy of salvation. The believer's life is meant to be characterized by joy. A joy in knowing that our eternity is secure. A joy in knowing that however the world may view us for our beliefs, that God still loves us. He loves us so much he would want to save us. He would want to forgive us again and again and again every time we mess up. If we lose that joy, then we become vulnerable. And those full-time ministry are often more susceptible to others. One of the questions we asked of an applicant for the position of a youth worker the other day was, how easy do you find it to combine work and worship? But it's a question that can apply to all of us. If we have responsibilities in the church, when those responsibilities become a burden rather 
than a privilege and a joy. It's that joy, that willing spirit, a spirit that wants to do God's will, that doesn't do it out of a sense of duty or a sense of drudgery. It's that spirit that sustains us in our Christian walk. So keep praying for that joy. Don't take it for granted. And if you do start to struggle in your faith, ask for that joy to be restored. Because if you have that joy in God, then it will be more difficult for sin to come into your life because the joy has to be displaced before the sin can come in. Well, finally, David uh, promises here in verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. In short, I will tell others just how great you are. And sinners will will turn back to you. They will be convicted of their sin. They will turn in repentance to you. I will sing of your righteousness. I will sing of the fact that you have made me righteous even though I didn't deserve it. My mouth will declare your praise. I will express it with words. How hard do we find it often to, to praise God to others. And so David says, Open my lips, Lord. We saw last Sunday morning that video clip from the King's speech where he was trying to deliver this speech to a full Wembley Stadium and to millions of others who were listening on the radio. And we we felt sorry for him as he stammered and stuttered over his words. And yet, when it comes to declaring God's praise, how often are we just the same? O Lord, open my lips. And finally, David finishes where he started. His plea for mercy with which he began requires a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart in which acknowledges that we are all we are because of God. The words from Ephesians remind us of that is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're going to move into a time of praise now, so if uh, the group can uh, assemble again. Um, I'm going to start with a song which uh, talks of the darkness of the world in which we live. But it's also a plea that the Church of Christ will rise, as it says in this song, with power and love, this glorious gospel proclaim. In every salvation, salvation, in every nation, salvation will come to those who believe in your name. We want to say as David did to God. We want to say, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you.